the thank you page is the best real estate in e-commerce that, or the most so underutilized good. real estate in e-commerce. Like you've already gotten their information. They've placed a purchase. They like you. The brand resonates with them. You know, you've proven that you can solve a need that they have. And then all you need to do is like utilize that real estate in the best way possible. Welcome to season two of Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's get into it and start making money. I love how Triple Whale is fixing data trust issues for direct consumer brands. Better data equals better business. Want to scale to the moon? Use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up for Triple Whale at triplewhale.com. All right, Moyes, we're back for episode six of Limited Supply. Does that mean that uh, half of the season is already over? Is this the halfway point? Yeah, the end of this episode is the halfway point. And we've transitioned from a studio in New York to a TikTok skateboard behind your head. (laughs) (laughs) I love the studio in New York. And to be honest, I think these are better to do when we're in person. Agreed. Uh, And that's obviously not always possible. Uh, But I rented this house in LA and it's fantastic. Every day I wake up and I've only used the office and the bedroom. Like I haven't used, there's a pool and a beautiful like living area, but I'm excited to use it over the weekend, I suppose. Yeah, I got to fly out and we can record like three in a row. Maybe our last three or something. Yeah, do that right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, perfect. All right, Moise. So you t- you texted me, you had a bunch of stuff. So I didn't prep much, but what do you got for us? So first, I was at this dinner last night with um, hosted by Nick and Chase. It was here in LA and there were a bunch of e-commerce guys and it was so fun chatting with them. And everyone is like, I only listen to two podcasts, All In and Limited Supply. And Let's I'm like, go. me too. Uh, so it's awesome. So anyway, this is what I wanted to chat about tonight. One is P&L breakdown by percentage, open rate when it comes to emails, people not understanding their business is, tr- is in trouble, great website features, a feature I, th- uh, I think that exists on Clavio that everyone should be using, uh, stock and Allbird stock. Awesome. There's also, did you see the Honest Company returns came out today? No. What happened with Honest Company? Quarterly revenue came in at $84.5 million. It beat the top estimates by a million. But uh, personal yeah. care products, which I think is a big part of their catalog, is down. Household and wellness is up 115%, which is an interesting signal. E-commerce growth slowed down significantly around 14% compared to the last period. Same period last year. This is actually all from a tweet from this company called Celebrity Packaged Goods. But uh, marketing expenses up 26%. Operating losses more than doubled. $11 million instead of $4 million in Q3. Basically, they paid 26% more for 2% increase in revenue. When it comes to like operating expenses, is that what you mean? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, I'm going to dig into that. I didn't realize that they announced earnings. Where should we start with? Should we start? Okay, let, since we're talking about publicly traded companies, yeah, let's, let's go just into talk these. about Allbirds first. Let's go into Allbirds first. Uh, so, Hims had a great quarter. You know, the the CEO posted their results on LinkedIn, and as soon as I saw him say, you know, Q3 earnings are out for Hims, I was like, I bet it was a good quarter. I have this one feeling that like. If any CEO, the day that they're going to announce earnings is like, yeah, I'm going to go on CNBC and talk about my earnings. So that like, you know, CNBC will be like, uh, Twitter is announcing earnings tonight and Jack Dorsey is going to join us right after they announce earnings. I feel like earnings are always going to be really good because no CEO wants to go on CNBC and then have the host be like, 
how did you fuck up so bad in the past three months? Yeah, the exactly. Fuck is it's wrong always good news if the founder's tweeting about it, posting about it, or doing some kind of press. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, okay, it must be great news. And it was great news. I think their stock popped 20% earlier wow. this week in a single day. And you know, unlike a lot of the other direct-to-consumer businesses that have gone public, Hims is really held up better than far than most other businesses. Like I think it IPO'd at a $2 billion valuation, and today it's a $1.3 billion valuation. Uh, that's still a significant decrease. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as bad, nearly as bad as all the other businesses that have been in e-commerce and have gone public in the past 24 months. Yeah, uh, and I think something like Hims is like you know we've doubled our revenue and 90 percent of it is subscription, so it is a really strong fun or like a fundamentally interest more interesting business. I didn't dig enough into it because it just came out I think a couple days ago and I just didn't have the time. But I think Hims is. Not the exception that proves the rule, but actually the only exception that there is when it comes to like, or one of the few exceptions when it comes to e-commerce businesses that have gone public and still does really well. I agree. I want to talk about Allbirds because I started digging into this late last night and early this morning. And I just got really, I just like went down this rabbit hole because Allbirds' stock has really gotten killed. When they IPO'd, it was about $15 a share. And when they like started really trading, their first trades were about twenty one dollars and fifty cents a share. Mm-hmm. So basically, right when the uh, you know you could buy a share, it was at twenty one dollars and fifty cents. So I started digging in to see who their shareholders were, and I looked at a couple of them. Uh, first, I didn't know this, but Allbirds used to be called Boz Inc. B O Z Inc. And I'm not sure why I it was called that. called that. Me neither. But it said it on a publicly traded document, and I was like, I don't know what this means. So let me give you a little, a few of the numbers. So Tiger Global invested $17.5 million in 2017 into Allbirds. So they put in, you know, $18 million. I'm not sure if they made other investments following on. Like, you know, that type of information isn't always clear. But at IPO, Tiger Global owned 11% of the business, owned 11% of Allbirds, and they sold $0 worth of it. The business went public. And often what happens is when companies go public, shareholders can sell shares that they own to try and you know get some liquidity and some cash out. And Tiger Global said, no, we're not going to sell a single share when you go public at $15 a share. The only times you need to announce when uh, who your shareholders are, are like big shareholders at IPO, or if someone owns at least 5% today. If you own 5% of Allbirds today, you have to make it public. And Allbirds needs to announce that you own 5%. So at IPO... Tiger Global owned 11%. They didn't sell anything. And today they own certainly under 5% and possibly zero shares of uh, Allbirds. So they've basically exited most of their position, if not all of their position, between the time Allbirds went public and today. And I thought that was just really interesting. Is it normal for a company like like them to just sell all their shares at the IPO? Like, Isn't that the investor's dream? It's like you either exit or you IPO, right? And hopefully you exit with an IPO. Usually you're in some sort of like lockup period where you have to hold on to your shares for a certain period of time. You don't have to hold on to them forever, but a lot of times they'll say you have to hold them up. You have to hold on to them for six months or a year or even longer. Like I know a company, a very large privately traded company that has a lockup agreement that you have to sign for, I think like five years. Basically, if you're an investor in the business today and they go public tomorrow, you can't sell until November 2026. Or November 2027. I'm sorry, it's 2022 now, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a pretty crazy uh, lockup period. So it really varies. But a lot of times you will not sell right at IPO because it's a bad signaling effect. Totally. Oh, all of your existing investors want cash now and they don't want to be in this business now? What's going on here? So Tiger Global sold $0 when the business IPO'd. They owned 11% of the business. Today, they own under 5% of the business. That's wild. 
Okay, so we talked about Tiger Global. They invested at least $18 million. They owned 11%. Didn't sell any at IPO, but have exited most of their position. You know, Allbirds has been public for almost exactly one year. That's why I'm sort of as looking into it. It's basically the one-year anniversary. Uh, Lear Hippo Venture. Do you know Lear Hippo? They're based in New York City. They own 7 million shares at IPO. They own 5% of the company. They sold 1.7 million shares at, at the IPO. Today, I'm not sure how many shares they own because it's, it's definitely under 5%. Wow. But here's where things get a little bit more interesting. These are the big shareholders. Fidelity owned 7.3 million shares of the company at IPO or 6% of the business. Okay, 6%. And they sold zero. Fidelity had invested in the business and they're like, we're not going to sell any at IPO. And when the business went public, Fidelity, you know, it's worth $155 million. The 7.3 million shares that they owned were worth $155 million. Today, those shares are worth $18.5 million. Wow. So they've lost $140 million basically in stock value. And they actually own more shares today than they did at IPO. They own 7.3 at IPO, and today they own 8.2 million. So they own 9% of the business today. They used to own about 6% of the business. Wow. And, but like, you know, the shares that they had at IPO, which were worth $155 million, are today worth $8.2 million. Isn't that bananas? That's got to be painful. It's crazy. I mean, just brutal. The other interesting thing was there was one other company, and I'm not sure who this is. It's called Peterson Venture Partners. I don't know them well. I'm not familiar with them. They owned 1.5% of Allbirds at the IPO. And at IPO, they sold every single share they had. They said, we don't want one, one share of this any longer. Yeah. So they exited their entire position you know, at a possibly a very high watermark for uh, their Good for them. Partners. At least they made out well. I'm sure they're looking back on it thinking, thank God we did that. You know, one of the things I don't understand is let's say you're a VC fund that invested in a company like Allbirds. Uh, let's say you're Moise Ali Venture Capital and you invested in Allbirds. You know, I charge 2 and 20%. Are you familiar with the 2 and 20 uh, rates? Yeah, but explain it because a lot of people probably aren't. Basically, if you give me, I, I go and invest money, right? Like I take other people's money and those other people are called LPs and I take their money and I invest it on their behalf and I charge them. 2% a year of how much ever they invest as a management fee for me to pay my expenses, my office, my salary, all that kind of stuff. And then I charge a 20% carry, which is basically 20% of more mo any money that I earn you. So let's say you invested $1,000 and I return you $2,000. Well, guess what? I've earned you an extra $1,000. So I charge $200. Mm -hmm. That's what my 20% is. It's 20% on the profit I make you. Not that I, you know, I returned to you $2,000. It's not like I, I don't get $400. I didn't make, I didn't make you $2,000. I only made you $1,000 because you put in a thousand yourself. Right. It's 20% of the net profit. Yeah. So I always wonder how that 20% works on a company like Allbirds. Like, okay, so um, if you're Lear or Hippo or if you're Fidelity, right? And you're doing the same thing, or if you're Moise Ali Investments, uh, Moise Ali VC fund, and, uh, you know, I made you a bunch of money and the, it was worth $100 million at IPO. Do I get 20% of whatever at IPO at? Like, do I get, let's say, let's say I earned you $100 million. Do I get 20% of that, like $20 million? Well, what happens if you don't get, if you don't get the stock and it just continues to fall and I hold it? I, I think then I don't get to charge the 20%. Yeah. I think it's 20% of the final delivered profit. So if that 10 million became 100, but then it became 30, you would only get the, 20% of the 20 million profit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think I've got to distribute the shares to you. I've basically got to go and get, distribute those shares to you and then say, okay, now it's over because now the shares are in your hand and I've delivered them to you. Right, I think exactly. I, I think you're right about that too. Yeah. 
It is crazy though. Some firms will charge 15 to like 30% of carry. Andreessen Horowitz charges three and 30. Wow. But yeah, I always thought that was really interesting. And I, I also don't understand what like a VC fund would do holding publicly traded shares. Like if you're Lear Hippo, your mandate is to go out and invest in up and coming businesses. If it's, this is a publicly traded stock, you should give it to your investors because basically now they can decide what to do with it. Do they want the cash or do they want to continue to be invested in Allbirds? Do they have a mortgage payment? Do they have to send their kids to college? Like once a business goes public and there's the ability to have that liquidity, I think VC funds should return those shares to, to their LPs and say, look, you can decide whether you want to sell it or don't want to sell it, but it's not our mandate to continue to hold publicly traded shares. We're not in the business of investing in publicly traded stocks. You're in the business of investing in publicly traded stocks. Right. These are your As shares. As a consumer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was really interesting to see like what happens. Like if you sell it all, you know, it's a windfall. If you hold on to it, you know, it falls in 90% in value. It just blows my mind that the fidelities of the world might still be holding on to it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch gears and talk about two things that I learned about recently. And one was at this dinner that I went to last night. Awesome. You know, like uh, when people are sending out emails today uh, via Clavio or MailChimp or whatever, like I feel like iOS has destroyed understanding your open rate. Like everyone's open rates are now 40% or 50% and that doesn't make any sense. Is that, have you seen that? Yeah. What happened there? Was it a result of iOS or was it something else? I believe the way it works is like when iOS gets an email, it just marks it as opened. Like if, if people oh, use gotcha. Apple Mail, it marks all their emails coming in as opened. But I have noticed with Superhuman, because I use Superhuman day to day, it's fairly accurate in its reporting of opening. But that could also be like people just don't use Apple Mail much with work stuff. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Um, I don't know why I didn't think about this. It's pretty obvious, uh, but it you know, wasn't obvious to me, I guess. So I just wanted to talk about it a little bit. There was this guy I chatted with at the dinner last night, and he's like, what we do is we segment our uh, people who open up our emails on Android versus iOS to get a barometer of open rates to an email. So we'll send out an email to only people who have Android phones or have opened up on Android devices in the past, as opposed to Apple devices. And that'll give us a good barometer of like, what was the subject line that actually won? And like, um, you know, what was the open rate of this email? So everything doesn't just look like it's 50%. And then they say, okay, whatever the winner is, let's send out that message as well to Apple users. Mm. Um, and we'll probably consider that as the barometer for the open rate for Apple users as well. But we don't want to set like, you know, we'll run an A-B test in Android and then send it out to Apple users. I have seen something similar to that, but in the, on like the reporting workflow, and I don't know the exact setup, but it was basically looking at open rate, you know, for Android devices versus all devices collectively, uh, Android and maybe desktop. Okay, someone did that for you, like open something called open rate did. No, I saw it on Twitter as as okay, like gotcha. an idea that somebody shared. But yeah, it is it is kind of crazy. I I have definitely noticed open rates have jumped, and yeah, for people who love A/B testing subject lines, like I used to be nicknamed the subject line king. Because I would love, you know, I would, the brand marketing team would have their subject lines for all these newsletter campaigns. And I'd be like, guys, no one wants to open a fruity oasis. No one fucking cares about a fruity oasis. Yeah. You're going to say, this is the thing you never knew Hint Water could do or, you know, something crazy like that. Yeah. But yeah, for, for that type of stuff, it kind of hurts. But the Android to then taking the winner and putting it for iOS is really smart. Were there any learnings from those uh, A-B testings you ran? So for instance, if I'm running a Black Friday sale, should I say, you know, 
native deodorants black you know our black friday sale is on or should i say save 30 percent during our black friday sale i would imagine save 30 percent is going to do it it's really interesting you bring this up specifically on native because i just saw the holiday scents had launched as i was just looking at the names of the holiday scent i could already predict which one is going to be the best seller which one's going to be the worst seller just by the really? names not even yeah not even going into the scents I'm not even sure what the holiday scents are. So tell everyone what they are and then tell me. Yeah. So here, I'll pull it up real quick. Oh, mistletoe. Yeah. So it was like Lump all of, of coal. the. Exactly. There's like smell nice and smell naughty. And yeah. so, you know, there's like sugar cookie. There's yeah. candy cane. Like that's going to be a bestseller. Yule log. No, that's that's going to be the bottom. That is not getting to the top. Really? A lump all of right. coal doesn't sound like it's fantastic. Yeah. Either, Fresh mistletoe. Sure. Uh, lump of coal, no chance. Spiced eggnog, <laughs> maybe. But yeah, it was funny. I opened this and I immediately thought like, you could tell Moise is not here looking at this because this probably would never get approved. <laughs> you would just look at it and be like, who the fuck is going to buy a lump of coal? Who's going to proudly buy a lump of coal deodorant, you know, or anything lump of coal? It could be a yeah. lump of coal briefcase with a hundred bucks in it. You wouldn't buy it. Anyways. No, um, no comment. No comment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, subject lines. So I think of any funnel, like even the landing page stuff we were talking about, it's always about like earning the next click. And Sam used to have this rule at the hustle, which was essentially, you know, your goal is to always get the reader to get to the next sentence. And then your sentence will work hard enough. But your your job is to always just get them to the end of the first sentence and start it on the next. So I always took that approach too of like, all right, well, if we show up, First of all, we show up in, you know, on an iPhone mail, you have to pop like iPhone mail is straight, you know, pretty white and or dark mode, but it's plain. There's not like imagery or anything. If you have the Google app, the Gmail app, it's it's a little more color popping. So I would always try to do things with like emojis because emojis was an easy way to add color and get attention in the subject line, in the subject line. And then ideally, you have to think about two things. One is the length of the subject line on a push notification. So people who have push notifications enabled, which is a good amount of people, you want to be able to fit something actionable or something that gets them to click open or basically click it within that preview limit of the text. And same thing with the preview text. So the preview text is after the subject line. Yeah. It's not always written in the email, but you know you can make it whatever. And so, for example, if, you know, like if Native was selling, you know, 30% off for Black Friday, instead of saying like our Black Friday sale is now live, you know, like every other brand is already doing that. You could be a little more riskier and say, you know, only, you know, the countdown or like, yeah, only 11 hours left to save 40%. It's like, oh shit, there's urgency. There's a, there's an incentive. And, you know, that next to something else is probably going to get the click. But yeah, ideally yeah. you have a verb in the subject line. You know, if you're just like, if it's like flowers and rainbows, you're not getting clicked. And, yeah. you know, then you're just mad about why people aren't opening your emails. Harness are 30% off. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too is you used to do this with the post-purchase email. We've talked about this before, but like, you know, somebody's putting, putting your deodorant on a pillow. Like you've just got to be different in the sense of, Everybody is already sending the same fucking transactional email. Thank you for your order. You know, the next email. Here's some more things we're selling. The next email. Here's our story. No one gives a fuck about your story, bro. They're there to get their product and they're there to learn something cool. If they're you, like, you have to give them something in exchange. 
you know, if somebody opened your email, you should almost be so grateful that you should only give them content that is going to make them go, wow, I can't wait to open the next email I get from these guys. We always try to make our an email where like you lost your password and you were resetting it really interesting. Yeah. Like, oh, we know the feeling of losing your remote between your like, you know, t- uh, between the cushions on your sofa. Uh, we, so we know exactly what you're going through. Uh, we're going to make this as easy as possible. Here's the link to click. Like we could never make it. I had never had the time or like the inclination, I guess, like the ability to write the great copy that I wanted for that. So we struggled to get that right. But um, I-, I think you're absolutely right. That's a great idea. The only tricks I found are one, if you're offering a discount, you want to put it in the subject line with like a number. Like don't say we've started a sale. Say save 30%. That's going to get people exactly. more excited. And then like, you know, there's always a weird test that you got to run where it's like, should I say, get people to save 30% or is my average order always like, you know, for native $12 and I should say you get a, you know, a 30% off, you get a dollar 20 off of that or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, about 360 off of that rather. Like I-, I always wondered what you should do, whether you should do a percentage off or a flat dollar off, but I think it varies depending on the product you've got and w- what you're trying to do with your AOV. Yeah. And also what the numbers are, right? So if it's like, save 5%, that's not as appealing as like save yeah. $5. Yeah, definitely. Good point. And then, point. and the, the third option too is like, you know, like we actually did this for hooks where we said, so you could buy five landing pages for 20K instead of 25. You essentially save five grand or you save yeah. one page. So I, I was thinking like, okay, do we message it as you save five grand or you get one page free? And it turned out that like get a free page on us was like the winning... Really? Copy there. Yeah. That's surprising because like five grand is such a big number. I think I would have guessed that that works. So you would think, but then you think about like the growth marketers that just see millions of dollars show up on a Shopify dashboard and then more millions of dollars being spent on Facebook. You almost get numb to money if you're in performance marketing or growth marketing. Like dollars in front of you written down mean nothing. Oh, a million bucks. All right, whatever. Oh, yeah. $50,000 test. That's nothing. Why is it so yeah. low? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah. kind of weird. But, uh, but yeah, so that one, but I think also people just don't take enough risks with their subject lines because they feel like it's off brand. When in reality, I think it's the only thing that kind of makes you stand out. I couldn't agree more. I think you got to be really aggressive when it comes to subject lines. Uh, you mentioned like save $5 or save 5%. That's such a good example of that. Uh, there's this company called Naked Wines. I think we talked about them a couple episodes ago. They're the guys who put in insert card. And it's so smart. Like their business model is instead of uh, running Facebook ads, we just put in inserts in a bunch of people's boxes. Like, you know, they contacted us a native and they're like, look, let us put in an insert in every one of your boxes and we'll pay you a $50 CPM or something to that effect. And right. they're like, you know, their gift card is, you, you know, it's a $100 gift card. So you're like, holy shit, $100 is a lot right. of money. I'm going to go buy, use it. And then you're like, oh, I see. When I use this $100 gift card, the minimum purchase is $200. Like, you know, yeah. you, there's nothing on your site for under $200. That's where you get me. Right. Uh, it's really clever. I think what's his name? Equinox had that as well for a long time. They're like, save $350 at some watch store. I forget, like when you sign up for an Equinox membership. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to go buy a fossil watch. And I was like, ah, okay, you only have Rolexes. So this this $350 is worth nothing actually here. Right. It's 2%. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I found is always just like, if you can include the first name in an open line, you should because you're going to get a lot more open rates. Yeah. First name or the word you or your, those always do really well. Okay. So how can I, what's the best subject line for like save 30% during our Black Friday deal? You can save 30% during our Black Friday deal? 
Fuck you. Get 30% off our Black Friday sale. <laughs> I think we used to use, you know, the emoji of like the red siren. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah The red yeah. light. Like we'd put yeah, yeah. that on the outsides and then yeah. in the middle, you know, like time's running out or like, yeah. you know. I think you've done that so often. Left. Everyone's, there's a couple of hard parts of that. One is everyone has been using the sirens and yeah. it's hard to announce a Black Friday sale three weeks before Black Friday and then say only 11 hours left for a Black <laughs> yeah. Friday sale, you know, please buy as early as humanly possible. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I found that actually works is like a countdown. Like, you know, you say only 11 hours left. We A-B tested yeah. this in Native where we put a countdown timer at the top of an email. Of the and email? We're like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So it actually count down and say 11 hours. It only worked on like the last day or the last couple days. Right. Where like two days left, one day left, you know, last, last chance. And we put a countdown timer at the top. And that actually did well when it came to performance where people were like, okay, they did feel a sense of urgency. The other thing I would do is when we launch new sense, I don't know if native still does this. I'd write only 500 of these cents available. Every email would only say only 500 available, even though there were, you know, 50,000 available. I'd write only 500 available at the beginning to try and drive up some uh, demand. I love how Triple Whale is fixing data trust issues for direct-to-consumer brands. Better data means better business, and it means you can start scaling your brand at a profit. Triple Whale has solved the attribution gap with their Triple Pixel, and I'm signed up for the deeper customer insights and profit tracking metrics I can access on their app. I'm not sure if you use it, Nick, but I'm signed up for Triple Whale, and I have a bunch of brands hooked up to my phone on Triple Whale's account, and it's fantastic. Like Once you start logging in and looking at the app, I look at it like 15 times a day because I'm like, oh, I can look at all the metrics on my phone and it takes two seconds. So I'm waiting for the train. And I'm like, how are all these brands doing today? Uh, so I, I look at it so often. It's really awesome. If you're ready to use Triple Whale, use promo code SUPPLY15 to get 15% off when you sign up. Uh, it's triplewhale.com. Another good copy trick there is mentioning when the order will ship. So like your order, order, order ships today or like, you know, your deodorant will ship today. Another one that I had thought of was, oh, just a trick that we used to do all the time was when you create an email, for example, for your promo, let's say your Black Friday promo or like whatever promo, New Year, New You. So like emails are made with basically blocks of images, right? And so the the image that is essentially like your hero banner of the email, just make that three different ways where you have, where you just add badges to it. So like, you know, early bird is like the first email that goes out. Then the middle one, you change the badge to be like, you know, bestseller or like, you know, rated blah, blah, blah. And then the last one, it's like, you know, only 12 hours left. And you just basically get three emails out of one pretty quickly just by adding a badge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sale starts now. Sale extended. Sale ends tomorrow. Last chance. Final hours. Right. Five badges that you can reuse on every single email. One creative exactly. becomes five. And then you just, you just for the last one, you can just add that timer template uh, near the top. Okay, exactly. I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, I've been doing that for a decade. Uh, so I agree <laughs> with you. Um, okay. Uh, let's switch gears to one other thing that I saw on, um, and this is if you're doing SMS. Like uh, I was trying to brainstorm ways to get more uh, SMS phone numbers. And a lot of people are doing this. You know, I never loved asking for phone numbers in the checkout flow because a bunch of people like get scared. Every field you have just in- increases your abandonment rate. Like the more fields, sure. the more abandonment you're going to have. And so at Native, I got rid of the phone number pretty early on. And as a result, it was really hard to collect uh, SMS numbers. And, you know, we probably should have been doing it and we didn't. And then like all of a sudden you put an S, but let's say you're not collecting it at checkout where you don't have that box and a check mark. 
uh, I didn't know this, but Clavio has this great thing where uh, this isn't available, I think, with PostScript. I'm not, maybe it is. I'm not sure if it, it's available with PostScript, but Clavio has this thing where if you're using Clavio SMS, you can create like a pop up to catch, to capture SMS on the thank you page. So imagine someone goes through your entire Ooh. checkout flow, makes a purchase, has even seen the post purchase upsell, gets to the thank you page, and three or five seconds later or whatever, the pop up comes up that says, sign up for our best offers right now with your with your phone number and this is the thank you page so you've gotten all their you know you've gotten their money you've gotten yeah, their all it, in yeah they're, they're already they've already purchased there's nothing to lose here so it's just a pop and like you know you can't exactly get them to purchase anything else right now because they've just placed a purchase you know you've already charged their card and now you're sort of like hey uh let me collect your phone number on the thank you page of a uh, of a site and i thought that was really interesting i mean the the collection rate of sms is pretty significantly lower than the collection rate of emails. I want to yeah. say like emails, you can average probably like seven to 8%. I think SMS is usually on a pop-up like 3%. Yeah. On a pop-up. When you're advising companies, are you usually using those dual, e- like, you know, email, uh, then like once you put in your email address, it changes, yeah, then to-, it changes to text. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I hate and, and there's been a few variations. Like one is, you know, for desktop, you basically collect email and then somebody types in their number and then they get a text to verify. Yeah. The easier way is on mobile. You type in the email and then you press a button and then you can send a text and then you don't have to double opt in because it's like you kind of opt in in the first place. Yeah, because you, you, you proactively sent a text, yeah. Right. But yeah, that's genius. I mean, right at the end, I'd imagine your conversion of people who... Like if you were to look at the numbers and zoom out over... A thousand purchases, like the the conversion rate of SMS is probably much higher on people who buy uh, versus people who just come to the site. Like even if you look at the macro traffic versus the ones who sign up, it's probably much higher. And also, you're not adding friction to the checkout process. So someone showed me their stats. They showed me this, and they're like, they showed me how they did it. So it's on, it's on, only on their thank you page. They exclude people who are, whose phone numbers they already have. So if you're like a Clavio, if you're already on their Clavio profile and you have their phone number, they'll exclude this person. They'll be like, oh, Nick just uh, placed a purchase with Native. Uh, we already have Nick's phone number. Don't show him the pop-up. And for mobile, they had like a 20% opt-in rate, basically, uh, wow. of people who saw it. And like, you know, they I think they delayed it for like five seconds or four seconds or something. So you see the thank you page. If you wait four seconds, you see the pop up that says, "Hey, uh, submit your phone number and get good deals." And then uh, you know you do exactly what we talked about. You hit a button, send a text message, and they have a twenty percent opt in rate. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought it was a great idea, um, and more people sh- should be doing it. The thank you page is the best real estate in e commerce, or the most so underutilized good. real estate in e commerce. Like you've already gotten their information, they've placed a purchase, they like you, the brand resonates with them. You know, you've proven that. You can solve a need that they have, and then all you need to do is like utilize that real estate in the best way possible. Like, and you, you have, have the payment token. It. Yeah, and you have the payment token. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before you do this, you should do a post-purchase upsell. If you don't have a post-purchase upsell, create a post-purchase upsell. If you've already got a post-purchase upsell, the next thing you can do is show a pop-up saying, hey, give us your SMS information. If a company came to you and said, we're trying to figure out how to get more traffic to our site, what would you tell them? Like outside of ads, Outside of ads. Yeah. The only things I could come up with, one was... More emails. Yeah. More emails. One was like, do something earned media related. Like, go do something, launch something, just get a bunch of people, you know, seed product to a bunch of people, get them talking about it. 
on the first thing where it was more emails at native, we started sending out two or three emails a week to consistently drive traffic from our existing customers. And almost didn't even matter what we sent out. We'd be like, uh, like I'd send out an email being like, let me introduce you to like on our original formula. We use beeswax. And I sent out an email being like, let me tell you how we selected the beeswax that we use in native deodorant. We work with this apiarist who majored in vegetables and minored in insects at Cornell. And, and he graduated Cornell, like, you know, in world during World War II or something like that. He was, you know, in his 80s or I forgot how old he was now. And we're like, this is the apiarist we use to make these things. And it was great. It was super effective. That's hilarious. Um, and that was a great email. And like, you know, we just send out that email. People will read it and be like, let me go purchase. So you almost have to find reasons to email people. 100%. And then you're right, creating like we created novelty sense to get people to talk about us. We're like, look, if we drop more novelty sense, the reason we came out with seasonal sense is I was like, we're gonna have to hire a bunch of YouTube influencers and Instagram influencers. What's an Instagram influencer gonna talk about every three months when it comes to native deodorant? Great, I, I still use this and I still smell like coconut. I was like, that's not interesting. We're gonna create sense specifically to get people to talk about us again. And we launched this rose scent, and like you know, we were on the Today Show and Good Morning America and a bunch of other publications, and that drove a bunch of traffic too. Product launches, I feel like, are such an underrated way to just get more more things to talk about. Even if it's like scents or variants of an of an existing SKU, if you can get a low MOQ deal set up with whoever your manufacturer is, like, whoo, you could launch a product a month if you want. The real question was, what are ways to get traffic to your site outside of ads? We talked about emails. We talked about yeah, so sort emails, of, yeah. product seeding to big influencers, but mm-hmm. then you know to to get meaningful traffic, you got to pay. Yeah. The other one was affiliate. So like ramping up affiliate in a world, but not necessarily coupon sites. And also not, you know, if you don't have enough time to go build out like uh, your entire publisher network on Rakuten or something, using something. Have you ever heard of reward style? Yeah. I'd like yeah, to know yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. using a network like that. Yeah. To drive traffic. Yeah. All great ideas. Let's switch gears to more things because we're going to run out of t- time. It's already uh, we're already pretty far into it. Did we talk about Grow LTV? Like, there's this company called AlphaPaw.com. Oh yes, yes, yes. We did chat about this. This is the dev agency that does the special cart. Yeah, the dev agency that created that cart, right? That is such a good cart. That's such good CRO. Like, uh, I go to AlphaPaw.com and I constantly like add products, and I'm like, fuck, this is the best add to cart pop-up I've ever seen. Like, you know, here's your cart. It's animated. A new products pop up. They're relevant. There's a bunch of them. It's very easy to add them. It's very easy to get to checkout. I really like that uh, AlphaPaw Grow LTV cart. I'm surprised more people aren't using it. Same. It's on Imi and Kettle and Fire as well and Shirley Wines. And yeah, every time I go to their sites and I look at that, I'm just like, wow, this is such a beautifully designed, perfect UX and perfect UI too. And also just great on the conversion side. It is really good. Okay. Let's switch gears one last time. There's one thing I want to talk about, but we'll talk about it on episode seven, if that's okay with you, Nick. It's people not understanding their businesses in trouble. I've chatted with several founders over the past like three weeks. And I'm like, do you realize you're like, there's this law of gravity and you're going to run out of money and you're, you need to ch- like, you know, make changes today to your business if you want to survive for three months. And they're like, no, 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 it'll be okay. And- video I want to chat about that I think is not a well understood or not understood well enough in our community. But before that, I want to break down someone's PL. So someone gave me access to their PL. They said I could share it on a percentage basis with the podcast community we've got going here. And I'd love to do that because I think it's really interesting. Awesome. 
I've never looked at native numbers this way, but I really wish I had. So basically, um, the brand did a bunch of money in revenue, and this is how the revenue broke down. 66% of their revenue came from um, a Stripe. 32% of their revenue came from PayPal. And uh, 1% of their revenue came from Authorize.net. And I think it's because they have like a CBD product or something. And so that's why they have to use Authorize.net for the CBD stuff. Hmm. Their total credit card fees across all, like, you know, of, across all their revenue was two. So all of it. So let's say a uh, revenue was a uh, hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to use revenue as 100%. Revenue is 100% of revenue. The total credit card fees they had to pay as a function of revenue was 2.9%. So basically if their revenue was a hundred thousand dollars, yeah, they had to pay 2.9% of that to Stripe, PayPal and authorize.net in order to pay off all their fees. Okay. Um, refunds were 1% of their business and, you know, they break it down. They're like refunds via Stripe were 0.9% refunds via PayPal were 1.22% and refunds via authorized.net were 1.4%. I'm not sure why they were higher for the CBD product. Yeah. Makes sense so far. Is this good? I I feel like whenever I see this kind of information, I'm like, this is super helpful for me to understand a business. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Disputes, credit card disputes were 0.2%. 0.27 on Stripe, 0.8 on Authorize.net. Got it. Uh, so more disputes on Authorize.net. Again, the CBD product maybe has an issue or something than everything else. Wow. They break down COGS and they say, okay, COGS is a total percentage of, you know, it, COGS includes all shipping expenses, storage expenses, the cost of products sold, cost of the boxes, any other like you know freight that they have, all of that is put into COGS, and COGS is forty three percent of revenue. So this is a huge thing. Like the cost of the uh, you know goods is, and they even break it down, and they're like the cost of the shipping is twenty percent, and the cost of the goods sold is eighteen percent, uh, and so that's thirty eight percent, and everything else like you know freight and everything else is about three percent. Wow, did they put advertising or customer acquisition in there? Next, that's next, baby. That's the big one. That's the big one. Okay. Ads are 32%, uh, 32.7%, they say, of um, revenue. So ads are 32.7%. The vast majority of that is actually YouTube ads. Uh, And I'm not like, you know, yeah, they're spending 82% of uh, their ad revenue on YouTube ads, 17% on Facebook ads, and 1.2% on Google ads. Wow. Interesting. So that comes out like, you know, uh, ads are between 32 and 33. Cost of goods sold is about 43% of revenue. So that is, you know, 75% of revenue, give or take a little bit uh, between those two. Like that's, that's what these businesses are. There are cogs and ads. Like that's all what there is. Right. And then all the other expenses are, you know, All the other expenses are 1.1% of revenue, and that includes salaries, which I'm not humanly, I'm not entirely sure how this company is able to operate with 1.1% of revenue. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, coming out in all of SGNA is, uh, you know, they say salaries, other, which I don't really understand. Uh, it's just like, uh, you know, S, like SGNA, not including marketing costs, is 1.1% of revenue. Wow. That's fascinating. 
Yeah, I always love looking at businesses this way. And if you can look at your business this way, I think it's really interesting because you can look at the same number, the same metric month over month to determine, hey, is it, how is this doing? How am I doing from a revenue perspective versus a marketing perspective? Is my marketing still 32, 33% of sales? Or is my marketing all of a sudden 40% of sales this month? And why is it 40% or why is it 20%? It's also a good way to determine if like you're not spending enough. Like if you're only spending 20% of your re- uh, 20% of revenue on ads, you're probably not growing as fast as you could be for some reason or another. There could be a good reason. You could be like, look, I've got low gross margins. You could be like, look, I have to harness repeat customers because I'm a mature business and it's hard for me to get new customers online. Like at some point at Native, you know, by 2020, it was really difficult to advertise online because we were every single brick and mortar store and we'd hit up everyone on Facebook 400 times to go buy Native deodorant. And so like, you know, we could, just couldn't get anybody else. So marketing all of a sudden went to under 20% of revenue, under 20% of direct consumer revenue. But it's a good way of constantly looking at the same number over and over again and saying, has my marketing changed materially? Has my cost of goods changed materially? Has my cost of you know freight changed materially month over month? And so uh, I really encourage businesses to do this. I've been working with this guy for about six months and he finally produced this thing. And he's like, here it is. What do you think of it? And I was like, this is great. You should do this every month. So we can take a look every month and be like, how are your Facebook ads? How are your cost of goods sold? How is he pulling the data? Is that all automated or it's all manual finding things and putting numbers in? I think he's on QuickBooks. I'm not 100% sure though, because uh, he just sent me like a you know really nice Excel spreadsheet. He wasn't like, you know, I got this out of QuickBooks. Here's access to QuickBooks or anything like that. Got it. Yeah, I feel like a good side hustle that somebody could probably make like 20K a month with is doing setting up this report for 5K. And then you could even pair it with like a virtual assistant in the Philippines to just keep pulling these numbers every month and just train a virtual assistant and then make some cash. If you can just train a virtual assistant to do this, and I realistically think you can, you're a fucking genius though. It's such good information. And like on it, like, you know, there, there's like a data overload where a bunch of businesses are like, let me show you a bunch of data. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this data? My yeah, average order actionable. is now 2.1 orders. What should I do? Of course I want to make it three. You got any ideas? Does it, you know, <laughs> if I like knock on the, if I knock on the monitor, does it come out with an idea or something? Or do I still got to come up with that? Like that doesn't help me. I need to get some more revenue. I know that. Give me some ideas, buddy. And so this, I think, tells you, hey, look, you've changed your business in a certain way, like one way or another. And as a result, like, you know, your your marketing costs are low. Your cogs are high. Your disputes have all of a sudden gone up a bunch. Your salaries are a higher percentage of revenue than they should be. And I, look, there isn't a good barometer yet for this. And I think in e-commerce, there could, should be where it's like, you know, a marketing spend should be 24 to 34% of like ad spend. Ad spend should be 24 to 34% of, re- of revenue. That's what I really mean. I don't know where COGS lie. It really is uh, industry specific. But I think it's a great idea to go through this type of exercise every single month and be like, where am I spending money? Am I doing a good job? What costs are going up? What costs are going down? I even think for a lot of brands that are starting, like a lot of times I'll see decks, investment decks for like pre-seed or uh, you know, basically like first round. And my, sometimes I'll see something and my first thought is like, have you even run the numbers here? Like, there's no way you're going to be able to make any money unless you're relying on like the sixth purchase of this thing, considering how expensive it is to acquire customers and things like that. So I think a good exercise would be like, go find a business pretty close to what you're thinking of doing and actually look at the numbers and be like, okay, is this too stressful or is this realistically possible? Because there's a lot of businesses that, you know, of course, like when you're writing your own version of this document, you're like, yeah, of course, people are going to buy 
my product every month on subscription. They're, they're going to stay for three years. Why wouldn't they? You know, and you come up with these fake realities in your head, and then you go raise money off of that. And of course, the the VCs who invest don't know any better either. But then you get started, and it's like all the stress is on you because these numbers are totally unrealistic. But it's because also no one, one, no one's like told you they're unrealistic, and two, you've you've never gone out and found a PL like this to go look at and get a realistic comp. That is such a good point. And like you know, you can get any publicly traded companies income statement off the internet, off of Edgar, which is what this company, the SEC runs. It's not a company. The SEC runs this website called Edgar, and you can get any publicly traded company's income statement for any quarter you want. And it's fantastic. You go look at that and be like, this is what a P&L looks like. How do I understand this? And what can I, uh, how, how am I going to, you know, Mike Tyson always says everyone has a plan until they get punched until in the head punched in the face yeah and then they're like yeah. fuck and that's absolutely right when i was running native people would always you know even today people are like wow you guys had a subscription business right that must have been you know someone subscribed and they'd be a subscriber for five years i was like absolutely not the churn was insane <laughs> absolutely yeah. if you have five years are you crazy if you have a five-year subscription lt if you have someone who will stay, stay on for five years you have the greatest e-commerce business in the history of the world uh, yeah. I once told Stripe, Stripe was like, look, we do this really good thing where we're like, uh, we try and make it so that a credit card that gets declined as a result of an expired uh, date, we can figure out a way to recharge it. I was like, don't worry about this. In e-commerce, everyone's subscribers churn so fast, it never gets to an expiration date. We never get yeah. to the expiration date of the credit card. We just see too much churn. But the reality is like we were 20% new customers. I'm sorry, 20% of our customers were coming in as subscribers and we saw massive churn. Because everyone goes through a deodorant stick at a very different pace. And we were sort of saying, hey, buy them every two months. And people would be like, I need this every month, although that was very infrequent. Other people would be like, I need this every eight months. Why are you sending me a stick every two months or three months or even four months? And so we saw massive amounts of churn. I think you're absolutely right. Like I had a plan that we were going to be a subscription-based business. The the day I launched the business, I was like, this is a terrible idea. No one is buying this product. And I offered a one-time purchase and that saved the business. I got punched in the face offering subscription only. So I think you're right. Like, you know, you've got to create a plan, but you've got to be really nimble, but you've got to to understand P&Ls and understand, you know, how are other people spending money as well? Totally. Couldn't agree more. Okay, great. Episode six in the books. That's the uh, halfway point through the season. Next episode, I really want to talk about this law of gravity when it comes to uh, you know e-commerce businesses and people not making changes fast enough, whether it comes to OPEX or salaries or marketing expenses. The real th- thing that I've noticed is that people will be like, look, I don't want my revenue to decline materially. Like, I don't want to go from a $2 million a month business to a $700,000 a month business. And the reality is, if you don't cut marketing expenses, which aren't profitable for you materially right now, you won't go from a $2 million business to a $700,000 business. You'll go from a $2 million business to a business in receivership by a bankruptcy court because you didn't cut (laughs) expenses fast enough. And so I really want to get into that next episode. I can't wait for it. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 